Well, good morning to all of you. Our topic today is going to be sin and unwise judgments, and probably you look at that and you probably think that's an interesting little title uh, there. But in reference to uh, sin and these unwise judgments, and of course you see I have unwise judgments in quotation marks, I was talking to Matt, I believe it was Friday, and of course, I was telling out, you know, I think all sin could be considered unwise judgment. So obviously, this is the, a bad choice for all of us. But also, we can you, make that phrase of saying that, you know, maybe I made a decision that was unwise or I made a poor choice. And we can use that term and of course I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with using those terms to describe some sin or that I've committed or somebody else has committed but we can use that to change what really happened that if I can I can use that phrase or any type of phrase that's similar to that and say well you know I didn't I didn't commit sin or at least in my mind kind of make this this decision that I really didn't commit sin and because of that, I can fail to deal with that sin as I ought to. And there is a real danger that we can redefine uh, sin. And so we're going to uh, look at that a little bit. I'm also going to look at some practical examples of that I think we can all see in our lives, either one way or another, in which uh, people uh, can redefine sin. That we can just, instead of just calling it like it truly is, uh, we may can make it seem a little bit better. Uh, and because of that, uh, we can tolerate or allow ourselves to tolerate some type of sin. And those that are committing sin, you know, they feel better about their own condition before God. And also, we're going to look at how can we differentiate uh, between a sin and something that's just a poor choice. And we're going to, I'm going to kind of talk about that a little bit. And we're going to have some more examples of that. And so... You know, again, I think this is a good lesson for us. I think one, probably just about most of us has probably been in a situation where we hear this type of talk being made and a failure to repent of sin, a failure to, you know, basically point out sin uh, because we just say, well, you know, it was just, it was just a little mistake. You know, it was just a little white lie, no big deal. You know, and so uh, we can see uh, of course, I think if you look at the condition of the church, at least in the last 60 or 70 years, you can see the uh, fruits of that type of attitude. This is a quote. It was, quote, att- uh, attributed to Joseph Goebbels. I believe that's how you, uh, how you uh, pronounce that. If any of you are students of history, you know who this guy is. He's the chief propagandist of Adolf Hitler. And... This quote here says, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually uh, come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its power to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus by extension the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. And so he says, if you tell a lie big enough and you keep on saying it, people are eventually going to believe it. Of course, you can see that in this country pretty easily. And also, if you replace the state with, say, Satan, we can pretty see that Satan 
kind of operates in the same manner. That if you, if Satan can, or, or those that are following Satan, that they can repress this descent, they can kind of push out any naysayers, well then you can have people believing something for their entire life that is complete a lie. In the same way uh, with this lesson today, that if we keep telling ourselves or telling others that what, that, and, and ignoring uh, what's really going on, and then people can eventually come to believe it, believe something is not that big of a deal as it ought uh, to be. And so this is holds true in so many areas of our life. I think about the media in this country, and it's just, you know, you can see this being played out. And we can, and because of that, that there are things that 10, 20 years ago would not even be thought of that are sinful things that are now pretty much widely accepted uh, in this country. And it has to do with this constant message of this is okay, this is right, these are the rights of the people. And anybody that says otherwise is just, you know, they're just out of line. You know, they're, they're, they're evil people if they're trying to repress or trying to keep you from exercising this right that you have. All right? So we're going to look at what is sin. And I think John pretty well sums it up. I, don't, I think this is a pretty clear statement of what sin is. He says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And the definition of lawlessness, as you could pretty well figure out, that it's basically uh, you're acting as though you're without law. You're committing some violation of the law. It is unrighteousness as well. And so I think this particular verse is really interesting to me because when you look at this statement and, you know, Paul makes these statements of that you all, that you can't, that uh, you, that we're living by faith and not according to the law or the works of the law. And it's important for us to distinguish what Paul and what John is talking about. Paul, of course, talking about the old law. But what John here is saying, is he's, he's saying that or implying that a Christian is bound to a law. Because if a Christian is not bound to some type of law, well, then they don't, com- they don't commit sin. They don't commit lawlessness. There is some law uh, that we're bound to. And if we break that law, uh, we commit sin. If we're living in this way, we're committing these unrighteous acts, we commit sin. And, of course, I think all of us understand that there are standards in which we ought to uphold in the New Testament. There's commands of God that we're given, and those are law that we are to follow. So this is what sin is. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 17, he says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Of course, this is the middle of context, but we see here that he clearly states that all unrighteousness is sin. I think I said it before, but I particularly like John's letters because it's just like, it's simple. It's, it's easy for my brain to process what he's really saying. There's no way. It's hard to confuse or try to twist what John is saying. He says anything that is unrighteous, it is sin. And anybody that's committing things that are unrighteous, uh, they're committing sin as well. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And also a similar statement in 1 John 3 and verse 3, 
this hope, John talking about this hope of seeing uh, God as he is, this hope of eternal life. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so if I have this hope, if I'm a true follower of God, I'm striving to practice righteousness every day. I'm growing, I'm striving to grow in this purity and act in, in a pure uh, way. And also, if you think about 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul talks about we needing to imitate Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, I believe, uh, that we need to be imitators of God. This is who we ought to be, that we ought to be striving in every way to imitate God, imitating Christ, striving to, to have this purity just as he is pure, striving to obtain or, or to hold and to grow in this righteousness. And so we see all these statements. And I just have a question that looking at all those passages, what part of God's plan for us to become righteous and pure uh, can we ignore and not sin? You know, what, what, what part of God's plan can we ignore for us today as Christians and, and, and not sin? I've read of Christians talking about these ought-to statements that Paul writes and, you know, these, well, you should do these things. And they basically just chalk it up as, well, he says ought to, so that means we don't have to do it. That's just good advice. And, of course, my question is, is, so this is what I ought to do. Everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself. I ought to imitate Christ in every way possible. And, and so I don't really have to do the ought to statements or the, well, you should do this. Statement. You know, so anything that God has given us, regardless of how it's brought forth to us, doesn't matter whether they say ought to or thou shalt do this, we can't ignore any of those statements, any of the any of that plan for us. And so we can't ignore any of that. And if we do ignore that, we sin. If we ignore it and we act contrary to it, uh, we commit sin. Alright? We'll move on so that we kind of laid a foundation of what sin is. I'm going to look at some examples of redefining sin. A liar is now someone who misspoke. You think you watch politicians and they straight up lie and they say, well, I just misspoke. There was one particular person I remember that they just they just had some blatant lie. It was a politician and they said, well, I short circuited. Like so, you're just giving. So you're just making this excuse that oh well, you know it was just you know I just had a, you know, my brain just messed up when I did that. No, well you can you could say that, but you're you you lie. You're a liar. In Revelation chapter twenty one and verse eight, a liar is going to have the same spot in the fire, in that lake of fire as the abominable, the murderers, all those individuals. And so, again, I'm not saying you can't use the word, well, I misspoke, but recognize that you lied when you did that. When you said something that was not true, you lied. And, you're, and that is sin, and you're going to end up just, as, just, in, place, just uh, in the same condition as all those other individuals, same place, just like we talked about this morning, as the, you're going to be in the place prepared uh, for the devil and his angels. Uh, if you don't repent of that sin. Someone who is a thief is a victim of circumstance. So you think about somebody, well, he stole something, and well, 
you know, well, he had a hard family life or, you know, he, his daddy wasn't involved with him. He, he, he only had his mama to raise him or, you know, he's poor or, you know, there's some type of hardship that excuses this person to, to steal. And, of course, I just don't understand that because there's a lot of poor people out in this world and you don't see them stealing or you don't com- see them committing some type of crime. So that idea is simply false. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, that was one of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not steal. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 28, Paul says that the person, that the one who is a thief, let him steal no longer, but let him work. Uh, let him work so that he can have something to give to those who, you know, really who are in need. And so we ought to work, and it's very clearly laid out that we ought not to steal uh, from others. And so this person may very well be a victim of circumstance. I'm not denying that. I'm not that he may be going through a hard, very hard situation, but it never excuses uh, that sin of stealing from individuals. Same thing with murder, you know, any of that sort of, of crime and, and sin. Now, someone who is sexually immoral was born that way. Of course, you see, that's the, that's the new thing. I find it kind of interesting that people are searching for years for, or, or, or they're trying to isolate the, a genetic trait that, allow, that basically makes people uh, to live in this particular way. And, of course, I just find that fascinating because, you know, that just, if there was really a genetic trait, it would actually, I think it would destroy the theory of evolution because there's no evolutionary way that those types of traits, which are a weakness for the human race, they are a weakness. The human race could not continue uh, if everybody had this genetic trait to be, say, for example, a homosexual, life would just cease to exist. And so it's so... It's just kind of silly when you think about it logically and all the ins and outs of that. But in Romans chapter 1 and verse 26-27, Paul writing this, and he talks about the people that they basically gave up God, that they didn't want nothing to do with God. And so God, uh, it said God gives them up to these vile passions. And of course, when you look at this idea of giving them up, uh, this is the idea of him yielding. He's surrendering uh, them to that. And so he's not forcing them to do that, but he says, but he's not forcing them to not do that. They choose for themselves, and God says, if you're going to continue, he's not going to stop you. And so if you want to continue in this way, uh, you're going to be able to exercise and, 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 and yield to uh, those vile passions. But notice that they made a choice. Uh, to live in that manner, they simply was, they simply were not born that way. They simply were not her, hereditarily. I guess there's not some hereditary trait that just forces them uh, to act in that manner. And murder is now health care, and of course I'm referencing to abortion. That's now reproductive rights or a woman's right, you know. And so it's 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 kind of polished in this way that it's just some constitutional right. It's these right of these individuals, and, well, we shouldn't trample on these people's rights. And so, and also this idea of, well, it's, it's health care, it's women's health care. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, uh, clearly states that someone who is a murderer has no life, no eternal life abiding in him. It doesn't matter who you're murdering. If you're a murderer, that's, that's reality of the situation. You do not have eternal life abiding in you. 
And regardless of what any of these things are, uh, or how any of these things are redefined or shifting or trying to shift the responsibility as to who is truly responsible, that doesn't matter. These are, these are all still sin, and they all need to be uh, repented of and dealt with accordingly. So I have a question. Have you or someone you know changed your view on how God views homosexuality in the last 10 years? I know people that have done this. And usually what happens, or maybe not that, maybe it's, maybe it's fornication, but you hear these people that they would say, there ain't no way homosexual is going to go to heaven. Practicing homosexual is going to go to heaven. Absolutely no way. But their child gets involved with this, or somebody that they're close to gets involved with this, and then they change their mind and say, well, maybe. You know, maybe God will let them. You know, God's going to let my baby in when he, when he, when, because, you know, he's, he's a good person, or she's a good person. And so they changed their view on that. Same thing with fornication. You think about uh, adultery, divorce, and remarriage. Paying taxes. Now, usually paying taxes, you st- I know people that depends on who, who the president is, depends on whether or not they really want to pay taxes. And, of course, that hurts me to pay taxes because I think about all those people up in Washington, D.C., and it just, ooh, that, that just hurts. That just really hurts me to do that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't, he didn't say pay taxes if it was a Republican or a Democrat in the White House. He just tells us to pay our, pay our taxes. And so, and of course, I, you know, I know people that they will, that, that, of course, when Obama was president and probably now with Joe Biden, that they, that they would say, you know what, I'm, I'm on, they, they would say, I'm not going to pay all of my taxes because those people and what they're using that tax money for. There is no exclusion in the New Testament as to say, well, pay taxes as long as it's being done for right. He just tells us to pay our taxes. And so... You know, what changed there? The work of the church. Of course, we probably all know somebody that their views on the work of the church and, uh, you know, how uh, the church ought to use its money. You know, all of those things. You probably, probably all know somebody who's changed their views on that in the last 10 years or ourselves have our views have changed on it. And so, you know, what changed? Were you wrong before? And you're right now, or could it be that you're wrong now after you changed your view? And it's always interesting. I don't people that change their views. It's interesting they don't really ever talk about their condition before they change their views. If somebody say, for example, they become, you know, now they're they decided that basically the churches uh, can do basically anything uh, with their money. You know, they never really talk about their condition beforehand. Well, the reality is, is either you held and probably taught false doctrine before or you're holding to and teaching false doctrine now. That's the reality of the situation. And so you either stood condemned then or you stand condemned now. And so God didn't change. Our views changed. And so we ought to be pretty careful when we're going about changing our views on something and making sure that what we really believe uh, is uh, the truth. So, going on to this kind of, I guess I would say, really what my, what I'm really trying to uh, 
point I'm really trying to bring home is this idea of a sin or just an unwise judgment. Not so, by unwise judgment, I mean something that maybe would have, was a dumb decision, but it's not a sin. And so, uh, when is an action or a thought a sin? How do we differentiate between whether or not something is a sin or an unwise judgment? Well, when it's against the commandment of God, if, 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 if it goes against uh, what God has given us uh, for us, well, then it's sin. Whether that we fail to do it or we, again, we act contrary uh, to that commandment. And again, uh, that commandment is not just the thou shalt not or the very plain statements. It's the, well, you ought to have done this or you need to do this statements. Those are just those are just as uh, powerful of commandment of God as any of those others other statements, right? And calling a sin a poor choice or a mistake does not change uh, its severity. All right. So when is a thought or an action an unwise judgment? And I have up here Acts chapter twenty-seven. We talked about that on Wednesday about uh, basically Paul said, "Hey, we don't need to set sail." And then the centurion believes, basically takes the word of the sailors uh, before Paul. And we don't know whether Paul was given, this was inspired of God or not. But we, we don't see that. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It very well could have been given by God. I don't know, though. But if this was just giving, giving his advice, then that was not sin there. You know, the, the, the centurion simply just made a poor choice there. And so if, given, of course, given uh, that Paul was just given his own personal opinion about that, then, again, the centurion just made a poor choice. He didn't really commit a sin uh, by doing that. And, of course, later on throughout that story, we know the centurion wised up to, to thought that he better be paying attention to what Paul uh, had to say. All right? So practical examples of an unwise judgment. I just throw up a couple here. You know, painting the church building in obnoxious color. There's, it doesn't matter what really paint color you paint the church building. Or I think about what color carpet you have in the building. That, you know, I've walked in church buildings I was, I, that I would just be like, man, that's an interesting carpet color there. And uh, But there's nothing wrong with that. It just may be, uh, you know, I just might not just agree with your decorating decisions. And, uh, you know, same thing with uh, house decorations. Ruth Ann would tell you, I like the old avocado green kitchen appliances from like the 1970s. I just like them. I would love for the whole kitchen to be all that. I just like it. But I know people just despise that, that color. Of course, I remember my grandma, she had an old avocado green kitchen uh, uh, hand mixer. And a, a pan to put cakes in. I was just like, man, I want that. I don't know whether whether at now they might have got tossed in the trash, but but I, there's nothing wrong with that. But it might just not be the best decision. I don't think Ruth would probably be happy with me if I did that. And so that would be an unwise judgment on my part. You know, staying up too late when you have to work tomorrow. Might not be the best choice there. I think we've probably, and we've probably all been in that uh, situation. Or maybe when you got school the next day. Might not be, it's not, probably, usually not too smart, but usually if, you can usually kind of bow up and get through that. But it's just, just not, the, not a wise decision. You know, deciding to start working on your sermon outline on Saturday evening. 
I was telling Matt about this. I put Saturday evening, but I didn't put I didn't put Friday evening on that because you know I started working on the PowerPoint on Friday evening, so I'm good with this. But you know, if you decided to start working on that, you can get through it. And if you know about it, so I you know I would I would think about my sermon or whatever for several days before I even start working on it or a PowerPoint. And so you could you could easily do this if you know what you're going to talk about, but. Some folks, that's not going to work. You might need a whole week to prepare for that, start working on that. But again, there's nothing technically wrong uh, with doing that. And of course, buying a new car during bad financial situation, buying a new house, whatever it may be, again, that's things that just might not be a smart decision. But again, there's no sin uh, here in all of these. All right? Now, going to sin... For example, uh, elders not rebuking sinning church members. That's not just poor decision-making. That's not just a matter of judgment. That's not just a judgment call there. Elders are commanded to do that. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 says, holding fast. Of course, this was a qualification of the elders, but it says, Holding fast the faithful word, so he has been taught that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So this is what he needs to be doing. This is why he has to hold the faithful word, because this is what he's going to be doing. And so if he's not doing this, how can we say that uh, he's holding fast the faithful word? If he's not doing that, he's failing to do what God has commanded him to do, not only as an elder, but also just as a Christian. And so we can't say that he's meeting that qualification, uh, and he's not doing what he ought to be doing, and so he's committing sin when he fails to do that. A missing church service is because you stayed up too late. It's not just a lack of judgment. Now, remember, I said standing up too late when you got work is not a, a bad, uh, is not a um, good good judgment. And also, if you stay up too late on Saturday nights, that's not good judgment. But when you miss, that's when it's a problem. When you miss church services because you just, you know, your life. Uh, and your priorities were just much more important than, than God, what God has told you to do, that's when it becomes a problem. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not for, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, it is the better of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we ought not to forsake the assembling ourselves together. And so what is that saying when you rather stayed up all night playing your Xbox and you slept through your alarm? and you miss church services. Well, what that's saying is, is that Xbox is more important than worshiping and serving God. And so that's, that's sin when you do those things. Being lax in class preparation. And notice these are, these, these are kind of go in line with what these unwise judgments that we just talked about are. You know, again, starting that sermon out loud on Saturday may not may not be the best decision, but it's not sin. But if you are lax in that class, class preparation, that goes contrary to the will of God. James chapter three and verse one it says, "My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment." And of course, if you read throughout, uh, keep on reading James chapter three. Uh, James starts talking about the tongue and how powerful it is. And I believe what he's talking about is right along with that tongue. You're, you're teaching these things, you're speaking these things, and you're impacting, making an effect on others that are listening to you. What you say 
can actually be the difference between whether somebody goes to heaven or hell. That's the reality of the situation. And so if I'm just coming up here and I'm just talking garbage or just talking, just rambling about something, and I'm not prepared, you know, I'm not living according to this. I'm not recognizing how important that is and how important my words are. And especially if I'm teaching things that simply are not true. And maybe I'm teaching these things are not true because I didn't do enough preparation for this class beforehand. Having unorganized worship service is not a difference of opinion or culture. Now, recognize, I don't understand, there are different, you're, going to, you're going to go to different churches and people are going to sing a little different. I know one church that every song that they sing is a little slower than probably what it, I guess what it is officially in the songbook. But you can at least recognize the tune and you can follow along with it. That's fine. But when it becomes an issue in which you can, when what the way that, say, for example, the song leader is singing, that it just brings chaos and nobody can follow them and it's just a whole problem, you're affecting the other's ability to worship. And especially, you know, going beyond that, if you just generally have an unorganized worship services, everybody's talking, there's no type of set time to do anything or you know, whatever it may be, that's a problem. We ought to have 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. And that, so that's all things. There has to be some type of order uh, to our assemblies and, and really in all things that, um, that we do. And again, uh, if we're not following that, we can't just say, well, that's just the way I do it or that's just the way my culture is. And I recognize that People do things differently in Africa. They do things differently in China. They do things differently in India. But there is some standard which you ought to follow. And if we're not following that, uh, we're committing sin. All right? So that's the end of my lesson. I hope it's been useful for all of you. And I hope it's been, you know, really examine ourselves, making sure that uh, we recognize the reality of what's going on around our lives, not trying to make excuses, not trying to redefine uh, things in our life, and recognize how serious sin is. And so if anyone here uh, that uh, recognizes that and they know that they need to be made right, maybe you're not a Christian, uh, you can have your sins forgiven, and uh, you can continue that uh, and start that a path of following uh, those righteous commandments of God, and you can have your sins forgiven. You can be made part of that uh, family. And um, if you are a Christian and you've slipped and you've fallen into sin and uh, you need the prayers of saints or you need to repent of anything, we certainly offer this time of invitation now. As we stand, as we sing, will you come? What do you wait there, brother?